invite you to turn with me to Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse 14. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink. For by so doing you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. Oh, the wisdom and knowledge of God. His ways are past finding out. Every Christian is to be a winner. That is God's will for you. We know this from passages that speak, for example, thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph. And the one we follow, is he not a winner? We know of him that one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This 12th chapter of Romans is the handbook for winners, the instruction manual for you. When we began this pilgrimage, we saw there how every Christian is to present his or her body as a living sacrifice to God, wholly owned by him. Then we're to labor against being conformed to the world's ways, but rather to be transformed into the image of our Lord Jesus Christ. We went on to see that in the pathway of being a winner, the discovery and use of our spiritual gifts is crucial. Every Christian has a spiritual gift. We are to cultivate and use it to the fullest. Last time we saw how genuine love within the people of God is a trademark of winning. Hypocrisy, false and pretended love, goes counter to the winning spirit. Now in the last paragraph of chapter 12, we are given the specifics and the summary of the winning posture of the believer. And we learn here in this section that the true secret of Christianity is the victory that comes through love that the winning of the believer is to be done along the lines of and in the strategy of Christian loving. Now we know that evil abounds in this world. It is everywhere. You cannot shut yourself 
off from it. One Christian college was noted to have put in its brochure that they were located 40 miles from any known sin. <laughs> I would love to be there. But evil is everywhere. And since it is everywhere, the Christian has to learn how to deal with it. And the Christian strategy is that we are to overcome evil, whatever may be its source, with the victory of love. Now let's look at some of the directions from which evil may attack us and see if this works. Let's try to discern if the love we're given really will overcome. There is an evil that comes from the world, the world in the sense of hostility to Christ, the enemy of Christ. Satan himself is the source. Evil comes from that direction. It is in the form of pressure, even perhaps persecution upon us. And we read in 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So there will be some pressure upon us. We might as well expect it and be ready. What do we do with it? And here we're given the formula. We're to bless and not to curse those who are the instruments of this persecution toward us. Now that sounds like good words, bless them, don't curse them. But in the Bible idea of blessing, it is not simply words, but we are also to reach out and meet them at the point of their most acute need. Blessing means not only good words, but good deeds done for those who need the good deeds. The whole range of doing good is opened up to the Christian when someone persecutes him because the persecutor is revealing a spiritual need and that spiritual need is your signal to move in with ministry of love and compassion to the very one who is heckling or bringing pressure upon you. What grand examples we have. Our Savior, for Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Stephen, when the stones were striking him and the blood beginning, he prayed, Father, forgive them. The apostle Paul, in the midst of persecution, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. What grand predecessors in the warfare of love, how they blessed and did not curse. When you bless instead of cursing, you remove all bitterness from your heart and you keep open the lines of communication with your persecutor. We're told also here, when we receive evil from this direction, the direction of, of the world's hostility, do not take revenge. Brethren, never avenge yourself. Now, we can almost never say never, but here we can say never. It is never right to take vengeance because we read 
in Deuteronomy 32, 35, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. In other words, he restricts this work unto himself. It is his proper act. And anyone who would usurp the work of God is in grave spiritual sin. And yet we take vengeance, we retaliate. Oh, you say, I'll get around that. I'll pray for God to have vengeance on him. That's just as bad. Don't pray for God to retaliate. Pray for his conversion. Pray for his conversion. When you retaliate against evil and respond in kind, what you're doing is allowing evil to overcome good. Evil is having the victory when you come back with the same kind of thing that reached you. In fact, when we retaliate with evil, our own souls are ruined in the process. Instead of taking vengeance, there's something the Christian is to do. And that is, he's to prepare his heart to receive more persecution. If you take vengeance, you're not ready for a further wave of suffering. But if you pray for and bless and refuse to, to revenge, you're ready to receive whatever may come beyond that. Now, notice this. We are not only to refrain from retaliation, but we are to do positive good in return for what came to us. And this is what the scripture calls coals of fire. Pour coals of fire on their head. That does not mean to shame the person. You do something back so that he'll feel so horrible, he'll see what a real wretch he's been. That's not coals of fire. Coals of fire is doing good in the face of evil so that your persecutor can see how you have transformed the possibility of vengeance into blessing. How by the alchemy of Christ you have been enabled to take that which would have been the natural human inclination and do with it the supernatural thing. You will be a testimony to Christ's great glory in that act. There was a very wonderful old archbishop of the Church of England named Cranmer. And there was a legend around among his people that the way to make friends with the archbishop was to hurt him, injure him somehow if you can. Because if you do, you will open up in his life some floodgates of loving kindness. And you will find yourself immersed in gracious acts and in the friendship of the archbishop. And people actually conspired how to hurt this man that they could be found in his good graces. Would that that could be said of us. Think what would happen to the world if we once began to obey this 
Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Well, that's one direction from which evil may come. And that's the way we gain victory over it. But there are other avenues of evil. You know them. My own heart. The heart of other Christian friends. Evil still clings to our souls. It isn't dominant. We're not going to go to hell for it, but it's a, an annoyance and a source of great difficulty, and it, it rises within me, and I must cope with evil coming right out of the stream of my own Christian life and Christian community. What will I do with it? Well, take envy. Here's some brother, sister, some other church has great blessing. And they have a, a new job or a, something lovely, and we, you might be tempted to envy. That's evil. Envy's a wicked thing. And we're told here to conquer it with the love that says, I will rejoice with them that rejoice. In other words, you forget yourself, and you enter into the joy of your brother. You forget your own ideas. Now, that was Jesus at Cana. Jesus loved home. He loved women. He had a great respect for and communication with women in the, in the most pure and godly sense. He drew them they were fascinated with him, as strong men were. But he would have loved a home. He had nowhere to lay his head. He had no affection to which to return after the agonies of wrestling with spiritual darkness. But he had given up the idea of a home for his ministry. But he went to a wedding and rejoiced with them and relieved their embarrassment and made the wedding sing. That's rejoicing with those that rejoice. And that's the way to overcome the evil of envy or pride or party spirit. Now there is within us this uh, separating idea. It's called in the Bible party spirit. And that means factions, divisions, and that comes up, and we begin to accentuate our differences and overlook the things that bind us together. We begin to draw off into parties and polarize. Sinful. The Bible calls to a loving unanimity. And here we're exhorted to overcome that with the love that seeks to think the same thing and to agree together and to put aside and to minimize the things that divide or take the matter of our own pride. That's a sin that looms up in the life of the believer. Whenever it does, it causes great devastation because it gives him a wrong estimate of himself. When the Christian 
indulges in pride. He cannot be swept into the path of the lowly things. The lowly things are the more common things of life, where people actually live, where down-to-earth men and women are and talk about. But pride separates us from these, and we begin to only have fellowship with a certain strata who dress as we do and drive cars like we drive and live in homes as we live. We don't have any touch with the poor and the lowly. Why? It is our pride. We seek out even within the church those who are like us and allow the poor to be friendless. That's our pride. And we're told to overcome that and the word here is, allow yourself to be swept along into the paths of the lowly. As if the Spirit of God were a great wind coming into the church and driving everyone in the same direction so that they're forced to link arms and move along together instead of separately by stratification. Oh, pride is deadly in the Christian life. You know what it does to us? It cuts a man off from the very people who need his help and who could help him. Pride makes men decline to serve when they could serve most effectively. If you look at your own declining of the opportunity to serve the Lord in some way and trace that declining back far enough it will very often be your own pride. Something you don't want to lower yourself to do that thing. That may be. Examine your heart. Pride causes a man or a woman to magnify the faults of others and overlook the faults of his own heart. How deadly that is in the Christian community. But the antidote is clear. The antidote is love. That's how we have the victory. We love the lowly. We love the poor. We love the common tasks. I once met a man who was so admiring of Billy Graham. He happened to be a friend of his. and He said, you know, I feel so deeply toward this man that I would sweep the floor if I could have a part in his ministry. I'd sweep up afterwards. That's all I care about. He had such love, you see, that the menialness of the task did not affect him. Pride had been dissolved in love. And that's what we're called upon. There is a restlessness that comes up in the human heart that, that may cause us to stir up the peace and create tension. And it's, we're told here, if possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. Don't try to disturb the peace, but to build the peace and study and strengthen the peace again the victory of love. 
Well, that's another source. It comes from within us. And evil, when it comes, if it comes from the world, it is conquered by love. If evil comes from my own wicked heart, it is to be conquered by love. And the other source is the evil that is in the natural world that causes strife and sickness and sorrow. This is a hard one to counter. Evil comes in and brings affliction and a home is touched with pain and expense and sadness, disappointment, perhaps even with death. What do you do with that evil? Love finds a way. Love reaches in and weeps with those that weep. True love doesn't comfort from a distance, but goes close to the grieving heart and binds it up. That's what Jesus did at Bethany. He went to Bethany and he wept with Mary and Martha over their dead brother Lazarus. Love weeps at the natural evil of the world. It goes in among those who are grieving and sits where they sit and weeps with them. There is nothing more lovely than a Christian who is engaged in Christ-like sympathy with a sorrowing soul. But we are aloof. We are conditioned to all kinds of tragedy. We are conditioned to sit in front of our television and see tragedy and sorrow and munch popcorn at the same time. Our hearts don't know how to break with human suffering. And so we do not weep with those that weep. Get rid of that conditioning and overcome the natural evil of the world with love. There's another kind of natural evil that comes. It's, it results in people doing evil actions toward you. You go to the bank and the teller is short with you. You're in traffic and the person in front of you is discourteous person behind you is blowing the horn. The evil actions somehow come upon you and you're tempted to repay evil with evil. And the Bible says don't do it. One couple had their lovely wedding planned to a tea, but the cake never came. They could have gotten on the phone and bawled that baker out good. He was the most embarrassed man in the city that day. But you know what they did? They wrote him a lovely letter. They said, friend, what's a cake? We care about you, and we want you to know that we're going to give a good report of you to everyone we meet. And if you want to bring that cake a month later, we'll have an anniversary party then. Repay no one evil for evil. Think what a witness took place in the heart of that man. You see, what happens in life depends upon who sets the pace. And the Christian people are called upon to set the pace, to take the initiative, 
and to move out with godly action so that the world is not ahead of us instead of repaying evil for evil as they are accustomed, we find out ways to show love and overcome evil with good. One of the favorite tricks of natural evil is to put the Christian in a bad light, to give him a bad image, or the church. It's to try to make the world think that the Christian and the church are just like the world. And so to besmirch our reputation or to lower our, our image, the world goes to no ends to, to accomplish this. That's why we're told here, take thought to provide things beautiful in the sight of all men. And here the idea is that Christians are to think hard, to outthink the world in such a way that they order their life to commend the confidence and good opinion of men about themselves. Christians are to strive diligently to keep their life free from any scandal, from debt. They're to keep their life attentive to their civic duties. They're to keep their life uh, attractive and honest and transparent so that neighbors and the community and natural evil in itself will be able to praise God because of them. Now, you see, we have to work harder at this than the world does. They can let their house be in disorder. So what? When the Christian's house is in disorder, God loses praise. If people can't find anything to praise you about, God is losing glory. You've got to find things that the neighbors around you and the world looking at you can praise God for in your life, things that they understand and can see. That's called outliving evil, overcoming evil with love. We've got to love so industriously, so creatively, so imaginatively that this tendency of the world to level us to its own standard will be broken and we will stand out as lights shining in a dark world. Well, I know that this paragraph is contrary to our nature. That makes it hard to do. I know that. But I also know that there is no duty so hard and arduous that it cannot be done in the power of God. There is no duty that cannot be accomplished with His grace. And I also know that Christ never gives us a command which he does not expect us to obey. There's not a command of Scripture that is just there to be a, a nice ideal to shoot for. Every one of these things is meant to be pressed into practice. It is ours, and I long for it. Would that this church could take on the beauty 
of the springtime moon with its loving, the brightness of the spring sunshine with the brightness of its love. Would that this church could become mighty as an army with banners, overcoming evil, the evil of the world, the evil of our own hearts, the evil of natural sin, overcoming evil wherever we find it, in whatever guise, however it may attack us, in the victory of the love of Christ. Oh, what a church we would be. How we would sing. How the world would find us. How they would come with tears of repentance. God didn't bring you by scolding you. He brought you by his goodness. He overcame your evil heart by his loving you. And how do you think you'll win the world? By scolding them, by judging them, by living over them and looking down on them? No. You'll win the world in the victory of love. And you young person whose teacher perhaps is difficult to get along with, you can win that teacher with the victory of love. That roommate that's so difficult to live with, you can overturn that with the victory of love. That work associate, you don't know how to handle. You begin to love them with the love of Christ and you'll see that heart turn around. I know that you want to be a winner. I know that you want to love Christ and show his love. Love is the way to victory. Love never fails. I appeal to your character to take this paragraph deep into your life and overcome evil with good. Let us pray. Lord, we place ourselves and our church in your hands. And we confess that too often we have followed the ways of the flesh and walked in the world's patterns. And we've retaliated and we've bickered and we've been divided and we've been proud and envious and full of strife party spirit. Oh, God, forgive us. Now, as you have overcome us with your loving, give us grace to overcome others also in love. Through Jesus Christ, 